Good morning, my name is Tom Ricks and I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree and I've got to make sure that my object lesson is working. Come on now, don't let me down. Talk amongst yourselves for a second. <laughs> don't mind me. But don't mind the man behind the curtain. There it goes. I am here to turn you in to a coffee disciple. How many people love coffee here? You don't really love coffee yet, but you're going to love coffee by the time that we're done because my life has been changed. I have a dear friend who I thought was just a buddy, was just a pal, just an average coffee drinker like me, and as it turns out, he is a coffee-making guru. He has a coffee roaster in the garage at his house in Wisconsin. And so I've gone to his coffee university in his garage in Wisconsin because that's where everybody goes to learn about coffee. And I have stumbled upon an amazing coffee bean. Now, my buddy Kevin has turned me into a coffee disciple. He, he won't sell you these coffee beans. You can't get these beans in a store. You can't get them anywhere unless you get a little Ziploc bag and I might share some with you after the service. But he's taught me that the first thing you have to have to have amazing coffee is an amazing coffee bean. So who's really a phenomenal coffee? Who loves coffee? Would you mind would you mind coming up here for just a second, miss? But yeah, you, would you mind? I won't put you on the spot. You're going to get a free cup of coffee out of this, okay? So and have we ever met before? Briefly. Have I paid you any money for this? Thank you very much. Just how does that smell? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Okay, and I didn't pay you anything to say that. Okay, just have a seat right there, and you're going to get some, you're going to get some coffee in just a couple minutes. So, checkbox of great ingredients. We have great coffee beans. Just so you know, this is a organic Sumatra dark roast. The next thing you need is your beans put in your, uh, put in your, um, why have I forgotten the name of this? Grinder, thank you. And they need to be ground to like a medium texture, so you don't want to grind them too fine. So you have to listen carefully to kind of the texture. That's plenty, okay? That's a medium grind right there. Oh yeah, you can still see, you still see some little chips and pieces. So you take that and you put it in your French press like so, kind of shake it out to make sure it's even. And then your water has to boil to 203 degrees. And what do you know? It's 203 degrees. So you take it and you pour about a third of it into your French press, and then you let it sit for about 20 seconds, which means you need your stopwatch. Don't go anywhere. I'm right here. And we're going to start that, and we're going to grab our little stirrer. You need a little stirrer like this. In the meantime, you can just kind of, oh my gosh, it's just, it, it, it's just, it's, oh my goodness, it's amazing. Okay, not quite 20 seconds yet. Okay, there you go. And then we're going to reset, and we're going to start again. And you're just going to stir it very gently. You don't stir it harshly. You're, you're friendly with your coffee beans because they've just been through a grinder. They've had a hard day. And then you add your water and you fill it up all the way. You kind of rinse off your little stir so you can use it again later if you want to. And you fill up all the way to the edge right there. And then you're going to let it sit for just a little while like that. Okay, now that is supposed to just kind of sit there and steep for three minutes. But because you won't know what to do with yourselves for the next two and a half minutes, because you're not used to church being where you just kind of hang out and you're not paying attention to something, we'll let it go for a couple of minutes. So while we're, while we're waiting, somebody asked me 
uh, how much coffee do you put in your grinder? And I said, I just eyeball it. So, uh, but what I would say is you've got your little spinning grinder thing in there. You want it to be covered completely with beans. You don't want it, you don't want too light and you don't want it to be, you don't want it to be too heavy. Uh, and when you're done, you're going to have, you're, you're just going to be a different person. You're just literally going to be a different person. So we have one coffee drinker. Who else is like passionate about their coffee? Uh, boyfriend or husband? I'm sorry? Fian- oh my goodness. Come on over. Fiance, come on, guys. This is a fiance. If you happen to have the license in your pocket, we can, we can take care of things. And this could be your wedding present, right? Right here. When, when are you getting married? That was a bad answer on your part. <laughs> Okay, okay, gotcha. I won't ask any more questions for fear of ruining your relationship. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna actually stop a little bit early, and I'm going to let it go for a full two minutes. Almost two minutes, okay. All right, now, next thing you do very carefully and very gently, you use the press. You don't push real hard, you don't push real fast. Kevin says that if you want to do it right, it should take about 10 to 15 seconds for you to go from the top to the bottom. All right, now I'm all the way to the bottom. All right, y'all come back up here for your coffee. All right, there's one cup. How's how's that smell? Does it smell pretty good? There you go. Thank you very much. So what y'all don't know is my French press broke in the second service and nobody got any coffee. I was halfway through this illustration and the whole thing fell apart. So if you want the other cup afterwards, come on, come on back and you can have the rest of it. Thank you. Engaged couple right there, ladies and gentlemen. And that is, that is going to change your lives. And I might be able to, because you're getting married, uh, give me your contact information afterwards. I bet Kevin would send you four bags of coffee as a, as a wedding gift, okay? Because we really do want to spread the gospel of the coffee. It is very, very important. Now, most of you are saying to yourselves, if you've been here before, our pastor has lost his mind. Uh, now, he's now preaching on coffee. If you can get that excited about a cup of coffee, right? how excited should you be about sharing the gospel with other people? Mark chapter 1 The first nine verses, hear the word of God. Again, he began to teach besides the sea. Speaking about Jesus, Jesus is in his kind of teaching and preaching ministry, and he's up around the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So Jesus in a boat, he pushes out a few feet. Everybody's right up to the edge of the beach, right up to the edge of the water. Probably probably most of the people in the front row have their feet dangling in the water, and they're listening because it says in verse 2, he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, or during his teaching, while he was teaching, he came to a point in his lesson, right, where he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil immediately, it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose and scorched, excuse me, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and it produced grain growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together for just a moment. Fathers, we have gathered uh, here. We have uh, we've worshiped you with our uh, emotions as we have sung your praises. Father, we have uh, rejoiced in the opportunity you're giving us to make a positive impact in the lives of young children uh, who otherwise might uh, be left behind, uh, not because anybody's out to get them, but primarily because of uh, indifference, people not being aware. I thank you for our team that has led us so effectively to this point and done the homework and the hours and hours of research asking the question, how can we as a body of believers uh, help in the community renewal in our town? So, Father, we, we do pray for next Sunday. We pray for generosity in our congregation. We do pray for ongoing relationships with these families that you would give us the opportunity to love them well. Now, Lord, we come to worship you with our intellect, to be challenged by your word. Father, you know I am not up to the task of changing anyone's heart or mind, only you do that through the power of your Spirit. Uh, so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would speak your truth into our lives. Forgive my sin. Don't let me be a hindrance of what you want to teach this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this passage. Uh, the way we're going to look at it this morning is simply to focus on the sower. And while not everyone who hears the gospel responds, in faith, some respond with skepticism, some with doubt, some with just rejection, don't, don't believe that, don't need that, right? It's clear that Jesus' intention, right, is for his kingdom to grow. So you may want to be in Jesus' kingdom, you may not care about it at all, but Jesus' intention is for his kingdom to grow. And we see that very clearly here in that passage. But we're going to look at it through the, through the lens of of the sower and how he approaches uh, this task and what the, what the story means for you and for me today. First of all, uh, I think it's implicitly understood that the sower is enthusiastic. If you look at, at verse 8, kind of towards the end of the passage, uh, a lot of his seeds fell on good soil. Now, how did that happen? Did he just wander by and see a field that was all prepared and ready to go? And he decided this was, he happened to have a sack of grain with him. And so he was just going to toss out his seed and hope for the best? No. Clearly what's understood by Jesus's listeners is that he's, he's the farmer. He either was representing the person who owned the land or he owned the land himself. And he had cleared the land. He had moved all of the rocks and all of the weeds and he had tilled the soil and he had prepared it. He had spent time plowing this field. Not only does that, I believe, show his enthusiasm, but also I think the seed that misses the mark speaks to the fact that he was sowing to make sure he covered every square inch of that good soil. So if you look at verse 4, you look at verse 5, and you look at verse 7, you see some seed that doesn't end up in the, in the, in the good soil, right? But do you think he actually went and found a pathway and decided he was just going to feed the birds? Was that his intention? Did he decide he, he really wanted to kill some of his seed and make it uh, useless so he threw it among the rocks? Of course not. That's absurd. But if you've ever been on a farm, you know that every field 
that has been plowed has edges to that field. And if you've ever stood in those fields and you've gone up to the edge, you've noticed something about it. The dark earth of the plow field stops there, and what's next is either a road or rocky soil, right, or weeds, right? There's, there's no in between. And I think what we are seeing in this passage is the sower is covering all the way to the very edge. He's not going to leave any part of his field unseated. And so some of it spills off the edges and ends up in these other places. But this sower is all about. He's going to make sure that he gets his seed where it needs to go, every square inch of it. Uh, this weekend is the Green Tree Festival of Kirkwood Park. How many people have been to the Green Tree Festival of Kirkwood Park? Just a handful, okay? Uh, if my wife, Cindy, is going to the Green Tree Festival this afternoon, and she runs into you after church, and she says, hey, why don't you come along with me to the Green Tree Festival? Know this. There are approximately 200 craft booths and jewelry booths and clothing booths at the Green Tree Festival. And she will go to all 200 of them, okay? So if you don't have three hours to go to the Green Tree Festival, if she says yes, just politely decline because she is enthusiastic about the Green Tree Festival, right? I give her money so I don't have to go to the Green Tree Festival, right? Okay. If you happen to be over in Kansas City and you run into me outside of the World War I Museum, and I say to you, you know what? Let's go in and walk around for a little while. Unless you have six hours, politely decline my request. You walk into the World War I Museum and over to the right side of the first few years of the war, and the wall kind of curves around. And all the way around the, the wall, there are pictures that hang. And below the pictures, there are, there are placards that are probably that tall and that wide with words that are that big, right, below. And each one of them speaks to a certain event leading up to and through the culmination of World War I. And there are probably, I haven't actually counted them, but I'm guessing that there are somewhere between 30 and 40 on this side and probably 30 or 40 on that side, right? I've read every one of those placards at least three times, all the words, right? I'm enthusiastic about learning about history. This sower is all about sowing this field, and he is enthusiastic. Secondly, obviously, this sower is intentional. Remember the context, okay? Jesus is not only, you know, sitting in a boat around a huge crowd, but he's been teaching for some time. He was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching. So at some point in the sermon, right? At some point, Jesus says this. He says, listen, right? He, he grabs your attention. You're like, oh my goodness, he's coming to something that's extraordinarily important. I got to sit up and pay attention. I was kind of dozing. I was looking at those fishermen over there. I was kind of watching the kids. I've got to pay attention. Jesus said, listen, a sower went out to sow. Really? (laughs) That's it? That's the earth-shaking news you have? What else do sowers do, right? This would be the equivalent of saying, you know, on Thanksgiving Day at the football game, the people in Kirkwood want the pioneers to win, right? Oh, my goodness, what an unbelievable discovery, (laughs) right? It seems like Jesus is a little bit nutty here. How could you be so enthusiastic about talking to us about a farmer? And in Jesus' day, everybody knew a farmer. Probably half the crowd, if not more, was involved in agricultural industry. But Jesus wants to show us again, not only the enthusiasm, but look at the intentionality of the sower. A sower went out to sow. He didn't wait for somebody else to do the job for him. He didn't hire it out. 
He didn't, he didn't seek to get some volunteers. You know, he kind of didn't Tom Sawyer where he goes and gets other people to kind of do the work he's supposed to do. He does it himself. He did the prep work. We've already mentioned this is a field that's already plowed. And he wasn't distracted. You know, there, there, there might have been a good ball game going on down the street, but he wasn't going to be distracted by that. He was going to go and he was going to do his work. He was laser focused on, on getting his seed where it needed to go. Like probably all of you, our, our staff uh, on the day of the eclipse was outside. And we had you know, those funky glasses that everybody uh, watched the eclipse with. And for the first, you know, I don't know, what, 45 minutes or an hour of the eclipse, we were, we were grilling some hamburgers and we were talking and hanging out. And you'd put your sunglasses on and you'd, you'd not your special glasses, you'd watch for a few seconds. It was kind of creeping over. And then you'd go and talk some more and you'd look to see if it had moved anymore. But about, I don't know, was it like 10 after 1 when the actual eclipse happened? About that time, we were all either in a chair, I was on the bench by the fire pit, lay down looking straight up in the air. You could have walked across our parking lot and come through our sidewalk dressed in a clown suit, walking on stilts, having a nose that honks and honking your nose, and we would have taken no notice of you because we were watching for about 90 seconds the most amazing thing we'd ever seen in our lives. We were laser focused. You, if you could steal anything in here in 90 seconds, you could have gotten away with it and we wouldn't have known who you were, right? We were intent on watching one thing. This is an intentional sower. He is paying attention. So it's not shocking that we read in verse 8 that the anticipated result actually happens. We get a yield of 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold, which leads to my third observation. Not only is this sower enthusiastic and intentional, but he's expectant. He's expectant to have good results. In verse 8, the seeds fall into a soil that has been prepared. And what happens? Well, 30-fold, that's a, that's a good harvest, right? That, isn't that coffee amazing? She, you have the biggest smile. It's just incredible, isn't it? All right, sorry to interrupt myself. Then, it, then there's some that's 60-fold, and that's, that's really good. That's better than just good. That's really good. And then there's like the crop of a lifetime, like the bumper crop, 100-fold. But you know what? All of that, because of the work, the attitude, the effort of the sower, that's the natural outcome. That's what's supposed to happen when a sower goes out to sow their seed. And so he was expectant of these results because they're natural. And I think that's why Jesus finishes this teaching by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, are you paying attention? Are you listening to what's happening here? These results were the desire of singular focus all along. And so it's not unnatural that what has transpired is what's transpired. So what is the lesson for us today? What was the lesson for Jesus's listeners in his day? Well, I'm not going to go through them. You could read them later if you like. Later on in this chapter, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 20, Jesus just lays it out. He says, here's what it meant. And so I'm going to give you the summation of that. Jesus is the sower. God is the one who is enthusiastic and intentional and expecting as he sows his seed. What is the seed? The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you need a Savior and I need a Savior. I don't need a buddy. I don't need an advisor. I don't need somebody to help me along the way. I am dead in my transgressions and sin, and without the grace of God, I am lost. And that is the seeds that Jesus comes and plants in the gospel to say you don't have to be lost. I'm going to the cross for you. 
My grace is sufficient for you. And he hits every corner of the world with that message. Every corner of society, every culture of this world, Jesus enthusiastically sows his seed. The soil is the human heart. As we said at the beginning, not everyone puts their faith in Christ. There may be folks here this morning who say, yeah, that, that sounds nice. Jesus sounds like a good guy, but it's not for me, right? Every soil is a little bit different. But Jesus' expectation as he sows his seed is that there's going to be a harvest. And it's going to be natural, but also remarkable. And as Jesus' followers... We play a couple roles here. First one is we, we play part of the soil, right? But as the seed of God works its way into our hearts and we grow and when we mature in our faith, we take on the mind of Christ. We seek to follow him, which means we are to be fellow sowers in our world. Our, our sermon theme for the fall is room to grow. And Green Tree has grown remarkably in the last two years. It's astounding what God has done. But it would be easy for us just to settle in and to say, let's enjoy what God has done. And to that, I believe Jesus says, no, 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 no. Listen carefully. A sower went out to sow. I didn't call you to sit and watch. I didn't call you to applaud. I didn't call you to cheer me on. I called you to follow me into the field with the same enthusiasm and the same intent and the same expectation. The question this morning isn't, isn't is God actively in the work of redemption? It's whether or not we're going to choose to join him and have the mindset of the sower. Am I enthusiastic to sow the gospel to any and to all? I love this, this handout, this practicing hospitality. I wish I had written it. There's some really good stuff on there. Uh, but you ought to take that home and read it this afternoon because basically what this says is if you're a disciple of Jesus and I'm a disciple of Jesus and folks come and visit us, we ought to be on the lookout for people that might have questions. And they ought to feel at home when they walk in the door. They ought to feel the love of God. They ought to feel the intentionality of the sower. Not that we, you know, tackle them and, and, and preach at them, right? But that we love them well. That we welcome them into our family, regardless of what they believe or what they don't believe, in order that our lives might reflect His grace and His mercy. Also, am I being intentional about the mindset of the sower? Am I preparing the soil with humility an unconditional love, or am I a person who's known to folks outside the kingdom of God as somebody who's arrogant and rude and self-righteous and condemning? Am I sowing the words of life, or am I distracted with other messages and other priorities, and I may eventually get around to it at some point? Am I sowing everywhere all the time? And as I sow, am I expecting that as the gospel is shared, that it is a worthwhile effort and that God will produce new growth because that's what he does. I, I hope you to have enjoyed the coffee. If anybody really is a great coffee aficionado, there, there is one cup left. You can come get it. If you twist my arm and smile at me, I might even give you, uh, you know, a little, little bag to take home with you. But it's just coffee. It isn't really going to change your life. wasn't intended to. It was intended to be enjoyed. God created it for us to enjoy and to do all, and you guys that go to Starbucks do all kind of weird stuff with it. I put that in the category of sin, but that's another story. Uh, soy latte. I don't even know what that is. Um, coffee ain't going to change your life, right? Jesus' mindset is that your life would be changed by his grace.
will those of us who are his disciples follow him into that mindset and into a world, into a community that so obviously needs his grace and his mercy and a lot of people sowing the joyful, glorious, gracious seeds of the gospel. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for good things like coffee. Thank you for uh, many ways, the beautiful ways in which you have created and provided for us in, in this world. But Lord, we also acknowledge the brokenness of this world in our own lives and in others. Father, we pray that you would be transforming our lives through the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, that it wouldn't stop there, that we would actually joyfully partner with you that others could hear this good word. They could experience new life in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.